Welcome to Wingtorn. This is a story of a young man with an oath to avenge his parents, a young woman hiding secrets in her blood, and the intertwining fates of three on a mission to prevent all-out war between humans and the Fae. Because what fell before will rise again. This is a fantasy serial podcast. Written and performed by Claire C. Marshall. Book 3, Arrest. Chapter 10, Fingal, 15 years ago. Fingal felt like his mind had awoken inside a vivid dream as he and Brendan strolled through the massive corridors in Cantona's Lertzkra Villa. Afrin had promised an official tour, but that was before they'd received word of the courtly fay's arrival. Perhaps after they'd gotten this dinner over with, Brendan would be up for some midnight exploration. Unlike the castle in the capital, whose undecorated walls had been mostly utilitarian as far as Fingal knew during the occupation, Kentina had utilized the wide, long corridors to show off his vast collection of antiques, modern and historic tapestries, and other oddities on raised pedestals. They were supposed to be down in the main hall at least ten minutes ago, Yet, Fingal and Brendan kept a leisurely pace as they took in and admired every painting and unique art piece in sight. I I wonder how much it's all worth. Brendan wondered aloud, hands in the pockets of his freshly pressed trousers. The trousers matched Fingal's, which brought him back to their days at Mother Zeppelin's. That old residence couldn't hold a flame to this one. I'm not sure it's about the Ergid, Fingal mused. His stomach rumbled lowly as he tried not to linger on every art piece. He had taken a morsel of the girl's food for taste, and the flavor of the pungent spices idled on his tongue. She hadn't been pleased about remaining in their room. He hoped the meal, as well as the days of travel, would be enough to put her to sleep as it had when they had visited Ashdown. Brendan studied Fingal, adjusting the plunging neckline on his tunic. You seem content here. Not sure I call it that, Fingal replied, trying to fill the opulent, silent hallway with the sound of something other than their echoing footsteps. Less on edge, then? No sharing cramped quarters with my sister and her islander in-laws? I mean, look at all this. Brendan skipped and spun, nearly tripping on the red and gold patterned carpet, recovering gracefully, and then laughing at his folly. I understand now. As soon as we landed, you wanted to settle, right? I was on the fence before, but if we're settling in here... A pang of guilt flared within Fingal. I do want to settle down somewhere, but... Come on, this is too nice for you? Fingal shrugged as they passed a series of portraits. 
According to the plaques, they were all prominent members of Kentana's clan. This villa doesn't belong to us. I mean, to me. Don't you want a place to call home? For the time it took to blink, Brendan considered it. Sure, but we could never afford a place like this, and living like this is... Well, how could we pass this up? We have to enjoy it now while it lasts. Even the girl likes it here. Fingal scoffed. Naturally, she felt at home in Cantona's villa, with its three large private water features, an herb and vegetable garden within a honeycomb-shaped greenhouse, an extensive library, and two tall ceilings. Instead, he offered... I'm just relieved Cantona will have plenty of work for us. At least he says he does. Yeah. Brendan seemed distracted. Uh, l listen, if I need to leave, I'll use the regular signal. Fingal exhaled forcefully. That old one? We haven't used it since. Uh, I, I know, but just in case. Fingal made a noise of agreement though he felt there was only one specific, truthful reason he would leave the dinner table. You don't have to make sure the girl's all right. I can do that. Sure, but that's not what I'm getting at, unless you want me to check on her, Brendan said hesitantly. What's going on? Fingal asked, stopping suddenly. Brendan waved his hand dismissively. Just something Mr. Cantada asked me to do tonight. Potentially during dinner. Uh, he'll give me a signal. His lips twitched upward into a smile. Well, what am I supposed to do? What's his signal? This was getting out of hand. Couldn't they just show up to the feast, eat their dinner, do their jobs, go to bed, and wake up in peace? I'm not supposed to say. It's a secret. It's nothing to do with the girl, and Mr. Cantona explicitly said that you're the more intimidating of the two of us, so you have to stay and impress the Fae. He flashed one of his charming smiles, and to Fingal's surprise, Brandon gripped him by the shoulders. You trusted me, and I want you to trust me more, all right? Fingal nodded and averted his gaze. He wanted to trust Brendan more than anything. But dangerous fae from the archipelagos were in their midst, and those patients had recognized Riona, and Kentina had questions about his name. We should get going, Fingal muttered, gently removing himself from Olivan's grip. The fae have frighteningly good hearing. Oh, oh right, yeah, good thinking. Brendan said good-naturedly, and strolled along beside Fingal. Compared to everything else we've been through, this is going to be easy. For Brendan's benefit, he offered a smile as his innards churned. You're listening to Wingtorn. Today's episode is brought to you by The Violet Fox, a young adult fantasy novel by Claire C. Marshall. 
If you enjoy Cinderella stories with castle intrigue, magic, and a little bit of romance, visit thevioletfoxseries.com to read the first three chapters now. That's thevioletfoxseries.com. And now, Wingtorn continues. present day. Even in his most elaborate fantasies, where he fancied himself an imprisoned, misunderstood hero, Connor had not imagined his jail cell to be so… small. The Drohoven Imperials had thrown him into and promptly locked the closet-sized, barred cell and then had retired for the night. A few of the guards had taken to playing dice in a room across from the three lonely adjacent cells, of which Connor was the only occupant. The hallway splitting the cells from the break room and the other imperial offices seemed strangely thin and bureaucratic, anticlimactic considering the crimes for which he had been accused. Arson, murder, abetting a fey fugitive aiding and supporting an illegal wielder. The dungeons he had pictured in his fantasies had been far drearier and danker, for they had all been underground, like the ones dug out centuries ago outside the capital. A fine layer of dust covered the jail cell floor, except for where Connor's body had disturbed it. Not a lot of arrestable crime in Drohoven. He settled on the single bench on the back wall and stared hopelessly up at the single arm-sized slat of unsealed glass that deigned to be called a window. Water dripped down and soaked into Connor's back. He stared down at his hands and blinked hard. The lack of caked blood there took him by surprise. Yes, his palms needed a good scrub. But there was little blood present. Connor had been sure the knife he'd touched, and the inn hallway had been slathered with the blood of the islander. Yet, as he turned over the memory, he couldn't be certain what had been real, and what had been his overwhelming fear of. Fear of death? His parents' deaths? He could barely picture their faces without falling into a well of deep sorrow. There were far too many other pressing things to dwell on. He leaned against the wall, still in shock over the day's events. Betrayed by his friend, Olivan had been misguided when he'd entered the woods. Now, in the city, he had carried out a plan that meant Connor was going to spend the rest of his days in the famed dungeon pits. Or worse, here in the cramped jail cells of Drohoven, ignored like a beggar. He took to his feet suddenly, balling his hands into fists. In all of his adventure stories, when the hero was imprisoned, he didn't lay about and complain about his life. He planned. He trained. He waited with purpose until the guards showed weakness. Then... Boom! He escaped, using his weapons, wits, or wielding abilities. 
but there were no guards standing sentry to weaken. Connor could just barely see into their break room through the door left ajar. Their voices were a mix of low rumbling, laughter, and high shrieks whenever one of them won a round of dice. Three, maybe four of them were in there, and none of them had checked in on him for at least an hour. Olivin must have told them his magic wasn't advanced. A powerful wielder like Riona would be watched at all times. But Connor was apparently not a threat. Down the hallway from the cells was Choate's office. She'd disappeared in there after they'd locked Connor up. She'd left only once and had returned in a flurry. He heard her muttering and pacing. When the other Imperials had tried to entice her with a game, she had shooed them away, muttering under her breath about paperwork and letters to the tower. It would be some time before a tower official would arrive in Drohoven, assuming there wasn't one already in the vicinity. Connor wasn't willing to wait a week in this demeaning cell. He wouldn't allow Riona, poisoned and dying, to waste away at the coaching house while he did nothing. Although he wasn't a registered wielder, he was permitted to learn and cast some spells for the tower entrance exam as part of his temporary casting permit. The colored light spell he'd used to distract the scavs in the woods was one such spell. Another involved his hearing. This particular spell hadn't interested him in the slightest in the thousands of times he'd read the beginner's spellbook. It had seemed useless, growing up in a place where everything could be easily overheard if you were in the right quiet place at the right quiet time, which was every place, every day. Now, if he used it to determine the guard's movements... Connor sat with his legs folded beneath him, hands resting above his knees, and closed his eyes. He reached deep into the ground, beyond the floor and the other man-made structures around him, and connected with the natural well that cradled his world. As he fixed his attention on his ears, they grew hot and red, and a whole world opened to him always there but hidden by his physical limitations, the settling of the building, the high-pitched ringing of the metal bars from where they'd been touched an hour ago, bugs crawling between the floorboards, heading for the break room where the Imperials were chowing down on late-night stew, oiled potatoes, beer, and tea the slurping of their lips against the frothing and boiling hot liquids, and the clinking of mugs and teacups. Their voices, distinct now, as if they were speaking to Connor. A debate about having another round was short-lived when a young private named Devon asked, Private Wren didn't come back yet, did she? Connor recognized the voice as one of the young Imperials who had held him down and dragged him away from the coaching house. Nah, still in Stovall's wood, said a sergeant who had been called Fasham. She'll camp there tonight? Is that safe? asked Private Devon. Connor heard shrugs around the table. 
the ugly rustling of indifference. Sergeant Fasham continued, She knows how to handle the scavs. Made deals with them in the past to keep them away. Except now, we want them to approach, to trap them, to arrest the accomplice. We're sure the scav accomplice escaped town towards the woods? Asked Private Devon. Could have sworn I saw him go towards the marsh. Others say it was the woods, said a third guard, an older woman with the crossed eye, who Connor had heard them call Sergeant Pobu. She slurred her words. That was before, when the victim was also seen in the woods, said Private Devon, uncertain. A scav with a long red scar on his face was seen with the victim just outside town. That's what I wrote when I interviewed the hunters living by the edge of the forest. They said the scav and the victim seemed friendly. The scav gave the victim some kind of artifact. Stolen contraband, likely. Probably sold it to the poor fellow. Fancied himself a collector, judging by his belongings. Some quiet mumbling ensued, and then Sergeant Fasham said, So the scab is an accomplice of the Ashdown boy, then? What about the Stovall boy's story? He says the scab has nothing to do with it, that they fought in the woods. Private Devon scoffed. When is anyone not fighting the scabs in the wood? They probably got into a bit of a scuffle as they argued about how to divvy up the loot. That's what the lieutenant thinks, said Sergeant Povu good-naturedly. Not to worry, young one. It'll all be sorted out. With difficulty, Connor tore away from the sounds of the break room and turned his mind to Choate's office. The rowdy Imperials continued to buzz in the back of his mind, the thumping of their hands on the shared table an annoying distraction. He gritted his teeth, cocked his ear, and put more focus into orally infiltrating the office of the lieutenant who had separated him from Riona. One more to take, one less to find. One more to take, one less to find. Obsessively, Choate repeated herself as her heart stuttered and struggled to keep up with the rest of her body. Her loud, mud-soaked boots splorched against the floor as she paced the office compulsively, taking equal steps forward and back, forward and back. Yet, something wasn't right. The more Connor thought about the organ toiling to pump blood through her veins, the louder the thump-thump, thump-thump of her heart became deafening, and concerning. The beats were not just fast, but irregular, sometimes stopping for a full second before resuming twice as fast to make up for lost time. Just write a letter. Just write it. A few words. Not suspicious. We caught two criminals, one a fay. Some kind of fay. Oh no, how do I describe the fay? What if it wasn't a real fay, but a girl with wings stabbed into her back? We didn't check, but, 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 no, 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 no. The Stovall boy's word is good. All right, putting pen to paper. And dearest... A theory bloomed in his mind, a temporary reprieve from the thunderous, repetitive thumping of Choate's heart. No, not right. Need more. A wooden drawer slid open. A glass vial clinked 
between her nails. A cork wiggling, then... Choked, chugged the liquid inside. He heard the tiny movements of her tongue licking the vial clean. Right, 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 right. Now, let's try again. Connor's unease intensified. The white death. While poisonous to the fae, the same excretion from the duck, when further refined and added to certain other herbs, was used as a battle stimulant by the Imperials in the early stages of the war. Yet another product for Drohoven to create in its apothecaries and sell to the rest of the continent. The stimulant was banned and subsequently abused by many after the war, if Connor recalled his history correctly. No wonder she was so jittery, so afraid of the Tower Inquisitor coming to her territory. If the capital discovered Choate was abusing stimulants, she'd lose her commission, or worse, she'd face imprisonment. Yes, that's a good word, Choate exclaimed. Just have to... Her pacing came to an abrupt halt as a large piece of furniture, maybe a chair, tumbled to the floor. Connor howled. He fell on his face, clutching his ears in agony. Remove the spell! Remove the spell! Then, the urgent footfalls, punching his eardrums, and the rattling of the bars. A key clicked and turned in the lock deafeningly. The bars squeaked open. In that moment of focus, he managed to dim the spell. Or so he thought. Lieutenant Choate bore down on him with her dirty boots and aggressive glare, her intense eyes bloodshot, her face stricken with fear and rage. She wore her full dress armor and the service medals clinked against her golden breastplate. Her hands shook, yet her head darted about with every small sound. From her imperial underling's laughter in the break room, to a spider crawling up the wall to the window, to every quick inhale and exhale Connor made beneath her. I'll tell the tower everything, he spat, his voice a low rumble against his skull. Unless you release me and my friend. She clutched his neck with a steely, sudden grip and slammed him against the wall. Did, did you use magic? You did. I can tell. You stink of it. You won't tell anyone anything. He thrashed about as her grip tightened on his airway. He could hear the blood rushing to his face, and in his panic, he summoned the only other spell he knew would work. The red and yellow lights flashed in their faces. Startled, she released him. No time. One step two-step, out into the hallway. Pivot, grab, swing shut. Connor turned the key she'd left in the lock, securing a furious choat inside. Let me out! Let me out! She rattled the cage doggedly, fixing Connor with a murderous rage. The ruckus from the other room quieted, 
time for Connor to leave. He turned tail and raced down the hallway towards the exit, his anxious footfalls echoing in his ears. for listening to Wingtorn. This episode was written, performed, and produced by the author, Claire C. Marshall. The Wingtorn theme music is composed by Cloud Road Music, and additional music is by Irene Chan. For sponsorship or advertising inquiries, or to learn more about my books, please visit wingtorn.com.